everyone, and welcome to Early Childhood Chatter with Dr. Shipley and Dr. Hild. We will upload a new episode every other week on Wednesdays. Twice a month, we come to you with a 10-minute professional development that you can quickly listen to for new ideas to try. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get notifications about future episodes. Today, I'm so excited. We have Cheryl Hovey here with us. She is the owner of Easy Et to Go, Early Childhood Consulting and Training, and is the program director at Fisher College. Um, she presents locally, regionally, and nationally, and she has a passion for gardening and traveling. Cheryl specializes in infant and toddler development. Cheryl, thank you so much for being here today. You're very welcome. I'm excited. We're excited too, because your topic is something that um, many parents are going to identify with and teachers of infants and toddlers. So your topic is the terrible twos, taming the temperament. Why did you choose to talk to us about this topic today? So this was something that it struck me when I was in my my graduate program. And I felt that uh, children around the age of two, they kind of get a bad rap for, you know, terrible twos and you know, those, um, the type of behaviors that they're exhibiting. And I thought it would be really important to kind of go over, um, that it's, it's not, there's nothing wrong with your child. This is total, totally normal. And once you get into kind of understanding where those behaviors and reactions come from, it makes it a little more understandable. That makes sense. Cheryl, I have two boys and I remember vividly the Jews. I remember <laughs> that too. <state. laughs> and I'll tell you, I don't really want to go back, but can you tell us a little bit more about temperament and why it's important for us to understand? I, I would love to. So temperament is, it's your natural tendency to respond to certain stimuli. So someone who has to eat and go to bed at the same time every day, someone that they, they don't, they have to take their shoes off right when they come home, someone, a child that doesn't like that tag on their clothing, right? Someone that likes to do a puzzle, but once they start it, they have to finish it. So and all these things, all these um, kind of behaviors, there we go back to the old adage in early childhood, once again, of nature versus nurture. And their temp your temperament is biologically based, but it can be influenced by the environment. And I like to kind of, um, and people that have multiple children, your siblings, yourself, is there's, there's no two that are alike. Some people will say, I don't, I don't know how I had this child. They're so, you know, my first child was very easygoing and that's why I decided to have a second child. And now this one is kind of giving me a run for my money and I'm not having any more. And so it's, I like to think of it like gardening. So some plants need a certain type of soil, certain type of fertilizer, certain type of amount of sun for it to thrive. Others only need a little bit of sun right? And they might do better in the shade and they might not need as many different nutrients and, and things like that. And they're kind of better off just being kind of left alone. So researchers back many, well, well before me, got together and they, they identified nine different, some people call them di dimensions, others will call them traits, um, that people exhibited. So some of them, and I'm just going to kind of give you a brief little overview of them, is 
And also a note is that there's no wrong or right temperament. It's how we can look at them and really work towards getting that goodness of fit. Okay. And I know people have worked in, many people might have worked in childcare or if you're in a family setting, family childcare setting, or just a parent at home, is there's going to be days where your child is going to get on that last nerve. And it's totally normal. And I, I remember working in a childcare center and the director would come in and say, you know, Sally's not coming in today. And you could secretly or maybe outwardly high five your coworker because this child is just someone that is is your constant. But then they go in the next room, they trans- transition to the next room and you're in the break room and you're talking to that teacher and that teacher is like, oh my God, I love Sally. Sally's the best. Oh my. And you're like, what is she talking about? Like she was almost the reason that I was going to quit my job, right? So, and a lot of that has to do with that goodness of fit. Right. So the nine, the nine dimensions were broken down into activity level and there's a high and a low in each one. So activity level kind of self-explanatory. It's a child that's got high energy always on the high end is always, they're the movers and shakers. They're wiggling. They're the ones, the adults that wiggle or shake their leg. Um, the low activity is one that prefers, you know, more tabletop activities or sedentary games, or they can sit and read a book for hours. Then we go to biological rhythms. And this is a really important one. This is your eat, sleep, wake, elimination cycle. And there's some people that do at breakfast at nine, lunch at one, dinner at five. I go to bed at this time. I get up at this time. And they're very structured like that. And if they don't eat or sleep at those times, they're off. They're just, they're uncomfortable. They're not happy. Then you have other children or adults that they don't really like to eat at six o'clock or they don't like to eat lunch at one o'clock. They kind of maybe graze throughout the day. And then they don't, they could go to bed at nine o'clock. They could go to bed 11 o'clock. They might require less sleep than some other people. And that's totally fine too. But what happens a lot of times in childcare is we have that proverbial schedule on the wall. So lunch is served from 12 to 1230. And if you're not hungry, how do you accommodate that child later on because they really didn't want to eat at 12 o'clock? You know, do you allow them to kind of eat per their schedule type of thing? So, and if you don't, now that child might be a little off and this is where you could have, he could be get the child could be getting frustrated, kind of not feeling top notch. And that's where you might get some of these challenging behaviors. The third one is approach and withdraw. And that's, Uh, when you come up to a new activity, you know, do you accept change? Do you jump into something or do you need to kind of take a little step back and maybe take a couple of minutes to warm up to a new situation, a new person, whatever it is. Adaptability is, do you kind of go with the flow or do transitions kind of give you a little bit of angst, you know, um, going from waking up to starting your day? I know my daughter, I can't talk to her until she's, you know, taken her shower, had her breakfast and she's dressed and ready to go. So I give her that time in the morning to be able to do that. It's the same with children um, coming into our care and it's parents understanding that, you know, they're not, it's not that they're not adaptable. They just need a little bit more time to kind of coax into that situation. 
And then we have intensity of reactions. Intensity reactions is when you're happy or sad, they're both high. Your highs are high and your lows are high. So when you're upset, you're in someone's face and you're letting them know you have a hangnail and you have to go to the hospital. And then the opposite of that is the child that has very little affect. So if they're happy or sad, you can't really tell. And these are the children you really need to kind of get into because you need to know where they are because they're not going to, if they're, if they're sick and they're not feeling well, they're not going to share that with you because they're, that reaction that they have is not as high as, as another child. Overall mood, you have children that are generally happy-go-lucky. And then you have other children that are kind of melancholy. They, they're not exuberant. They're, they might be a little somber. And again, it doesn't, it's not negative. It's just what kind of strategies and what can we do? This is where parents will become overachievers. You know, if I, if I just buy them that pony, if I just, if I take them on that trip to Disney World, they're going to be happy. It doesn't mean that they're not happy. They just don't exhibit it or show it outwardly in the same way that um, other children do. Distractibility. This is simply how easily are you distracted on a task? So are you doing something and a bell rings and then you can't gain back your focus? Persistence and attention is this is how focused you are on finishing that task. So when you sit down to do a puzzle, can you come back to it every couple of days? Um, is this something where you're painting and you have that child that does two swipes and they're like, I'm done. And then you have the other child that has to cover every single ounce of white paper on that painting or they get upset. So again, this is where when you're doing your activities in your center or when parents are letting children sit down to do an activity, if you know you have to rush out the door in 15 minutes and your child isn't going to be able to finish that drawing or activity, they're going to have a tough time with that transition and leaving that activity. And there's other children that can leave it and come back to it with no problem. We're seeing this a lot with adults watching Netflix where people like, I just can't stop. I had to stay up until, you know, four o'clock in the morning because I needed to finish that last episode or that last series. Right. And then you have other people that can drag it out and watch one episode for an hour a month and, and make it work. So, and it's, it's that it's making sure that you're okay with whatever it is that you, how, how you need to accommodate those, um, those behaviors. And the last one is, is sensory threshold. This is the tag on a clothing, wet clothing, um, a thread in a sock. I was a foster mom for a few years and I had a little boy that didn't like the seam that went across your toes. I don't know if they're toe knuckles, but went across their toes and with the pressure, with the shoe being tied, it, it would set him kind of into a, you know, it, he would just not be comfortable and we kind of figured it out. So now you'll even see a lot of uh, manufacturers of, of retail and, and textiles are making tagless clothing. And because they're acknowledging that this, this is really something. And if someone rips the tag out of their clothing, you can't tell them where you bought because you ripped the tag out and you don't know it came from, you know, wherever, whatever manufacturer that it was from. So that, that sensitivity, that sensory threshold, even infants, the minute they have a wet diaper, they want to be changed. Or you have another child that will sit in a wet diaper the whole, the whole day, 
you know, and that you really have to make sure that you're checking in and, um, and making sure their basic needs are kind of met because they're not going to let you know. So those are the nine dimensions. And the importance for us to recognize is that you're not, you don't necessarily have to be high in all of them or low in all of them. Most people and children can moderate their traits. So if I know I'm generally cold, I'll bring a sweater with me and I'll be fine. Or I dress in, if I'm warm, I'll dress in layers and I can kind of take those layers off. If I'm someone that I know I need to do more snacking, I'll make sure I have, you know, a snack bar with me, a granola bar. I have nuts in my bag that I can kind of pick on. And it's the same thing that we need to do. Um, we need to really acknowledge that in children as well is what can we do? It's, it's not to put a, a bubble around children or adults and not expose them to certain things, but it's how to just make it a more positive environment and make it more conducive so that the child um, doesn't get frustrated as, as all the time, right? So when you're doing room arrangement, letting children, not that you cannot do room arrangement, but you can do it in a manner where you're letting the children know ahead of time. Tomorrow we're going to come in and it's going to be a scavenger hunt. Whoever can find their cubby first or so you're kind of giving them an awareness that when you come in, the room's not going to be the same and just letting them know ahead of time and maybe giving them a little bit more time to adjust and, and not getting overwhelmed as easily. Cheryl, those are wonderful tips and tricks. So that was going to be my next question, but you answered all of those. But can you just tell us real quick, where did the child's temperament actually come from? It's from what I've learned through my research is it's kind of biologically based and it's inherited, but then how people respond to that child, in fact, can create that, um, that, it, it kind of forms into that. So when, if a child has an outburst or has difficulty doing transitions and you make it and you don't acknowledge the kind of the antecedent or the why, then it, that forces the child to keep responding that way. So when people say, you know, oh, he's just doing it to get attention is no, because you're, you're not changing what is going on in the environment to allow for that. So a good example that I give when we, when I do this live is, that we have, you know, you might have a boy that's highly active or a girl that's highly active and you are doing the lineup song and you say, okay, whoever has blue on can line up first. And, and the highly active boy has blue on. So he's first in line. He can't handle that. So then you call another one, another child that might be kind of slow to warm or kind of, and what you have is an instant challenging behavior because the next child is going to keep saying, oh, he's not standing still. He's looking at me. He's turning around. He's not holding the door. He's doing this. And then you will say, oh, you, you can't keep your hands to your body. You need to come sit on the circle. And it's realizing that this child, the highly active child, he, he may never be able to be line leader, right? Or it might be something where you need to kind of start him in the middle and then work him towards being in the front, see what he can actually handle. So even for myself, I'm high energy, I'm highly active. If you told me I needed to sit crisscross applesauce and listen to a 15 minute story, I'm, I, I need to kind of work that through in my head and 
kind of develop some strategies so that I can get through that because that's not something I can do easily. But if you ask me to go outside and play on the playground, I'm your person. I'm there. So it's um, the these traits are they're inherited and biologically based, but then how adults and caregivers respond can reinforce them or you can actually start to change the environment so that it moderates some of them for children. Cheryl, that's so powerful. It really does speak to the fact that educators um, everywhere need to know each and every child and their individual personality. Yeah. Um, do you have three takeaways for our listeners? I do. And up? one of them is, and I kind of said to it in the, spoke to it in the beginning is that um, culture also plays a big piece of temperament. So some cultures really um, value a quiet child, one, a child that's more sedentary, whereas Western society, we see, we could see that as being, oh, the child's a loner and they're not going to go anywhere in life and we need to socialize them more. When we really, one of the, the takeaways is that we, there isn't a good or a bad temperament. And a, um, a second one that kind of piggybacks that is regardless of whatever temperament your child has, is you need to be your child's champion. And you really need to um, be there for your child and not say that, you know, well, they, they don't like to go to big birthday parties and they might need to maybe go early and leave early or come late when there's not as many children, but really not forcing them to go and, and making them be in that uncomfortable situation. It's not going to make them, you know, all of a sudden come out of their shell and overcome it. It's they, they need to kind of do that on their own. And then lastly is really keep your expectations about where children are and what they can do realistic because the root of all heartache is expectations. So we need to really get into where children are in their temperament, where we are in our temperament and find that good, that goodness of fit and not have unrealistic expectations on, on the children that we care for. Cheryl, this has been amazing. Um, I learned many things and could think of people as you were telling your stories. <laughs> so um, thank you for being here. We appreciate you so much. And I know our listeners are going to walk away with so many tips and tricks that they can use today. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, everyone. We will see you in a couple of weeks.